Somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has Welcome back, everybody, to the Mudville Podcast. It is Sunday, December 17th. I'm one of your hosts, Nolan Rabine. I am your other host, Santa Claus. Dirty Stab, it's almost Christmas. And today we have brought on a very special guest. You know him, you love him from one of our former episodes, which I do say is actually one of our best. Uh, It's called Yankees versus Red Sox, State State of of the the Rivalry. Rivalry. But we also talked about some of the best theaters in New York, Manhattan, and uh, some of the best rep cinema around. And he really helped us out with that. And that's Mr. Tony Brown. Tony. Thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast today. Welcome back. It's uh, great to be here, you guys. You know, it's uh, sad times in Mudville, and it's also sad times in Boston, too. (laughs) We're going to ask Tony just a little bit about the Red Sox. Before we do that, we also wanted to announce that we're actually bringing Tony on as more than just a recurring guest. We're going to be starting a side series with him as part of the ever-growing Mudville empire. We're going to be doing... Mudville family. Yeah, absolutely. The podcast network. uh, It's going to be movie-themed. We're going to be trying to bring some more niche stuff, some deeper cuts onto the pod where we can just take some really deep dives into whether it's individual films, double features that we want to connect in a way that we feel like maybe hasn't been connected before, or if we want to look, take a deeper dive into directors' careers or whatnot. Basically a springboard for us to really research some of what we love about film and the people involved and try to bring that to you. Yeah, it's been in development here for a couple of months. We're very excited to have Tony on board to help do it with us. And I think uh, it's really going to help us balance this whole podcast thing out. We don't have a name for that quite yet. I considered calling it TBD, which stood for The Boys Discussing, but that felt like it was just every podcast, and maybe we should get something a little more specific. It's still a showcase, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah, (laughs) that's still, uh, it's in development, so get used to that. Uh, And if you aren't already, subscribe to the Mudville Patreon, where we upload all of our episodes, uh, as well as every SBNY episode we'll be putting on all of our new movie episodes with tony as well as some other writing and uh, film side projects that uh, brody and i are each working on independently that'll be up in a little while and if you pledge five dollars a month to us uh, you can pick a movie that we will talk about we'll shout you out and it'll be a great time and everybody will be happy and the world will go around 
Before we get into the whole Shohei Otani contract, um, I wanted to take a bit of a different angle towards some of what we talked about last time with the Red Sox and the Yankees, the rivalry between those two teams, but also comparing and contrasting, you know, what makes those franchises different. We wanted to uh, talk about today is where to place the blame, because what this past season, I think, has shown a lot of fans publicly in ways that maybe haven't been as clear in the past is that each franchise and especially the the franchises that have seemed to be in disarray for the past five ten years or, or maybe longer um it seems like they're each in singular situations as to what appears to be going wrong you know whether they aren't drafting players correctly or they're making bad trades or they're shelling out money to free agents who then become bad or they're just not paying money to any free agents at all it can get very complex the boston red sox have certainly been an example over the past few years of a big market franchise that isn't being run how the fans would like it to be and uh, i think tony is a great resource for trying to help us uh articulate that you know brody we've gone in on brian cashman quite a bit we've talked about like randy levine and for good reason hal steinbrenner and just sort of how the uh inner politics of the yankees have influenced certain decisions that for the most part, we, we have not liked up until the past week when they made the trade that we, we very much like. But that's the first time they've done anything like that. Recent vintage. Even got, I mean, Stanton was similar, but yeah, I've talked about this enough. Yeah, this, why, this but yeah. isn't a Yankees episode. In fact, we wanted to hear about their biggest rival. Uh, Tony, how do you feel about the state of the Red Sox franchise, and who are you looking to put the blame on for some of the recent failures in past years? Yeah, so... Thank you so much for asking. And what's crazy is that, you know, last time I was on here, I felt like I was facilitating a nice, beautiful Yankees fan therapy session. And then we needed get, it back then. That was uh, in the middle like of a very of bad decline. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, now you guys got someone named Juan Soto, who I heard is uh, pretty good at baseball. He's pretty good at it. And uh, things are kind of looking up for the old evil empire up there in the Bronx. Still need a pitcher, but yeah. Yeah, and so the Red Sox, you know, I've kind of been in the same state as I was when I was back on the podcast. And I think that, you know, with ownership and baseball ops, like, who is to blame for your team's failures? Is it the manager? Is it the head of baseball ops? Is it the owner? Or, as um, uh, as I've come to discover, the president and CEO of the entire franchise, <laughs> right? Um, like the Mariners guy uh, who got fired. Uh, remember that Zoom conversation at yes. the Bellevue Rotary, Rotary Club? Um, I mean, that guy was calling all the shots. Kevin Mayer, maybe? Was that his name? Something like that. Something I, like that. I remember what you're talking about, but the, the guy's name is escaping. Right, me. exactly. So uh, for those of you, so when we were talking uh, about the Yankees, and uh, we think, I think the Steinbrenners just own the Yankees, the Yes Network. I actually looked at it. They have minority shares in like AC, AC Milan, Milan or oh nice two, last year. Two minor like soccer. That's teams exciting. They're branching well. out. Okay, yeah, cool. Great. They're expanding. Yeah. Well, Fenway Sports Group owns the Boston Red Sox, uh, Liverpool FC. That's right. The Pittsburgh Penguins, 
so Fenway weird. Sports Racing. Uh, so they have like a racing uh, company, and uh, they're looking to get shares in uh, the PGA Tour with the Saudis. <laughs> And that's just a recent Good, update. honest work. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, I'm sure they have a lot of other investments in their portfolio that I don't know about. So That goes for the Steinbrenners, too, by the way. They definitely right. have, like, you know, hands in a lot of pots. But, for sure, yeah. And yeah. so, like, I always wonder, like, how hands-on owners are. And I think right now... Sam Kennedy is the president and CEO of the Red Sox, and I think he is in control of the Red Sox. He's making all the decisions, financial, uh, vision for the team, uh, and what he wants. That's such and a Boston name. Of course, that's the guy running the Red Sox. Yeah, and born Sam and raised Kennedy. in Boston. So yes. he's like a local kid, and, and, and so was Theo. And right. so they grew up together, uh, joined the Red Sox together as interns, and, you know, um, but Kennedy is you know, running the show right now. And I think, you know, he, how long has he been there? Do you know? He's been there since, Ooh, like 2002, oh, like shit. maybe 1999. Like he's That's been crazy. there forever and worked his name. way up the ranks. And yeah. he has, um, he was basically Larry Lucchino, who was the former president and CEO of the Red Sox. He was basically his like number two, I want to say. Right. Um, and then he took over for Lucchino in like 2017, 2018. Right. Um, when Lucchino stepped down. And he, I think, wants to run the team uh, in a money ball sort of way, like the Oakland Athletics. I don't know if he had lunch or dinner with Billy Bean, <laughs> uh, but he seems to be gung ho on uh, making a profitable business. For uh, Fenway Sports Group, for the chairman, John Henry. Right. And um, by not spending as much on the roster. If you remember, the Red Sox really wanted Billy Bean, by the way, following the 02 season. They really <laughs> did, yeah. And then they, he got he turned them down. So, I mean, we probably wouldn't even have a World Series if we had Billy Bean, because yeah, Billy Bean hasn't won everybody. anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, it's really interesting, because I think Sam Kennedy's the one who's calling all the shots, making the decisions. Uh, and John Henry obviously trusts him, because um, he's been there forever. Right. You know, he's, he has a track record of making a lot of great business decisions. And so, like, you know, he... And there's more than just like on-field product that goes into making a profitable business. We'd we'd like to think, but as much as we hope that winning is the number one priority, um, profit is the number one priority. So um, you know that's why I think Sam Kennedy has a little bit longer of a leash. Um, but I think he's trying to make it like a tourist destination for people, Fenway Park, a tourist destination for people all across the country right. and the globe to come visit. And like, that's how we'll get people in the gates. That's how we'll just keep the money flowing and rising profits. That's they what have, the Knicks have done forever. It's like the Cubs have relied on just the historical factor. I mean, all these teams that have history, that's, that's what they do. And the Garden just being in New York, like that's, you know, the stadium in the city. It's it's how these teams who don't necessarily prioritize winning stay afloat. So right. it's, it's the thing that's done in a lot of other places. Yeah, exactly. And so as I say this, you know, I think every baseball fan should get to know the president and CEO of their team yes. in addition to their uh, uh, president of baseball ops because or GM, yeah. or GM you know, because 
they are the ones, I think, signing off on a lot of things on behalf of the owner. And I think their leash is a lot longer because if they're still delivering profits, you know, right. um, they could be there forever just like the owners, you know, um, unless the owners do care about winning. And I think <laughs> John Henry does. Um, and I do think the pressure is on Sam Kennedy a little bit. And I think he was feeling the heat. But again, with the hiring of Craig Breslow, it seems as of right now, as of right now when we're recording this podcast, he's just doing the exact same thing Heim Bloom yep. was with was a quote unquote say. emphasis on pitching, which doesn't make sense to me to fire Bloom in the first place, you know? The firing of Heim Bloom did seem like it was very symbolic and like a gesture to try to suggest to the fans that like we know something was wrong and um there are active decisions being made to try and rewrite the course of the franchise but what it seems like you're saying is that all that that is is a gesture and then it doesn't seem like they're actually willing to put in the work to try and run the team in a different way as you know from the past i would say like four years at this point ever since that 2018 world series the inability to maintain so much of that core and like you know of course the big move that everybody was so upset about is trading mookie bets to the dodgers but they almost like, got rid of devers last year too yeah so you know, they, they, the they were second. able to, to sign him there but like also tony like you were saying they made smaller mistakes too like choosing Corey Kluber over Michael Waka. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you think Sam Kennedy was the one responsible for moves like the Betts deal? And I guess I'm really mainly talking about the Betts deal, but like, do you think that that... Was Haim the GM when that happened? He was, but... He was, was hired on. Move, that right? was like part of it. We are hiring We're you, and you you're going to, to have to Betts, get yeah. rid of Mookie Betts. Yeah. And I think that's why Dave Dombrowski was fired, right. um, because they kind of had some sort of meeting. I have to like read into it more, but it literally happened in the middle of the game at like the end of oh, August yeah. um, in 2019, and where they were kind of talking about the future of the organization. Right. And they got into an argument, a shouting match. Uh, Henry was there, and Kennedy... And uh, Tom Warner, the right. other uh, guy who's like not the chairman. One I don't know what he is. Yeah. One of the executives. Yeah. And so um, Daddy Dombrowski, who gives tons of gifts and free agency to fans, <laughs> right. um, was not going to be the guy to trade Mookie Betts. Um, you know, so I, I do think they had a lot to do with it. Um, they look so, I mean, it was the dumbest trade is, it's literally unprecedented since Babe Ruth was the trade of Mookie Betts. Yeah. Totally unprecedented world series champion, MVP, MVP runner up. We should clarify if anybody isn't a baseball sicko like us who has this memorized, the return for Betts was, uh, Alex Verdugo, who of course was just traded to the New York Yankees last week. Jeter Downs, a shortstop prospect who completely busted and Connor Wong, who seems like a serviceable catcher, but in the context of being traded for Betts is nowhere close to being anything resembling a reasonable return. Right. Um, and, and, also, Heim Bloom 
probably got the directive to also unload Chris, uh, sorry, David Price, right, uh, in that deal, which right. kind of That's like true. stifled the return for Mookie Betts, which is crazy. It is funny that the second that they get rid of High and Bloom, now the guy who brought in Alex Verdugo and they bring in someone else, his job is to then get rid of Alex Verdugo <laughs> because he became <laughs> such a problem in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of fun. I, that might have been a Cora call, but that's yeah. just me yeah, spreading rumors. So, um, but you know, he he's he'll he's going to be great in pinstripes. I I, think. I don't doubt it. I feel like he's like uh, he's what they wanted Josh Donaldson to be. No, he's what they better. wanted Andrew Benintendi to be. I think he's a it's very a mix of both player because they wanted the locker room vibe from from. Uh, Josh Donaldson originally that was like part of the the deal and Verdugo's like an asshole. Sure, um, but he also wants like to win really badly. Apparently, that's the word on him. He's extremely competitive, uh-huh. so maybe that's why he didn't care in Boston because they weren't putting a winning product, quote unquote, out on the field. Sure. Um. So maybe uh, if the Yankees can meet his standards, <laughs> maybe he'll care more. Right. <laughs> meet the standards of Alex Verdugo. Yeah, that's your goal, that's Brian funny. Cashman. I'll do this here. And to sort of close out my thoughts on the Red Sox, the current state, and Sam Kennedy, is like there has to be a way to continue to act like a big market baseball team and be competitive for free agents right. and develop and make big trades, putting a winning competitive product out on the field sometimes winning is out of your control like i totally get that you know one of the big things that was kind of caused a lot of tension in red sox nation at the end of the year was a barbie night barbie movie night uh in september (laughs) fans would love that what are you talking about yeah so i want to stay right now that i have zero problem with a barbie night in a major league baseball stadium in fenway park in the bronx it makes in Dodger sense. Stadium. You're trying to reach out to a group of people that don't usually care about baseball. Like, Absolutely. Sense. Yeah, I have no yeah. problem with that. But if you're going to do it, you have to announce it before the season starts. Like right. all your slate right. of special nights that you want Got to outreach your community. Right. But this was planned uh, because the uh, Red Sox weren't doing so hot at the end of the season. Right. And uh, it was a total slog it is totally beneath us to just pull that out of our ass to try and get tickets in the door you know what i'm saying so you know so, funny. so it's just kind of like yeah are we a tourist trap right now is that who we are or are we a big market team uh who should be in on yamamoto who should have been in on otani yeah one of the great big contracts was literally because Manny Ramirez uh, was signed by the Red Sox literally because Nesson was going to be more available in New right, England right, right. homes and cables. So they needed a player to market that. They were also going to bring an A-Rod way back when, too, and that got vetoed because of the trade. Yeah, they're was, restructuring. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's funny that, like, the Red Sox still have that vibe about them of being a big market team only because of what they had done in the last few years and all the championships right. in the 10s, if we're going to do that. They have not acted like it since that 18 World Series. Yeah. So um, they're really kind of as much shit as Yankee fans get for coasting off of their championships from, you know, decades past. The Red Sox have kind of been doing that for a little bit from, uh, you know, the 2010s and the early 2000s where they have not done anything worth talking about since that uh, 18 season, which was one of the best teams ever. So, like, why do you not want to build momentum off of that? And, you know, they haven't. And instead, they've gone down this path and they got a guy from the Rays to run the team. So, like, this is just it it doesn't really make sense. And it feels like it's got some uh, 
some corporate fuckery kind of written all over it. <laughs> it's like, you know, we don't need to win to make money, so why don't we just try to, you know, let's try to win, but let's not go nuts. It's it's interesting that they, uh, they're they acting like this even still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and especially since Shohei has taught us that money may or may not be fake. Right. <laughs> uh, it comes very to the point. rules of baseball and luxury tax. That's a very good point. Well, that is going to probably lead us into the main topic of conversation. Uh, what, what we're talking about certainly ties into a theory that I think I've been certainly developing over the past year and the... Oakland A's specifically have accelerated this, but I I think sports fandom just on a large spectrum um, needs to become something more than just geographical. Like you were saying, Tony, people should become familiar with the team GM and, and president. And like, that's certainly something that, you know, the casual sports fan doesn't do is like look into the inner workings of the organization and like what the team president does and how that affects the scouts and the GM and you know the how each of those hands wash one another and I think that that can easily lead to a culture in which fans will assume that you know to an extent the ship is being run by people who want to win have the mindset in mind that a professional baseball team should have and are willing to commit the financial resources to make that happen. And if you look into Major League Baseball for more than like 10 minutes, I mean, you're, you're going to clearly find that that's not the case. And I, I think that's becoming more and more known, like John Fisher has put such a public stain on what the Oakland Athletics were over the past year was while he moves them to Las Vegas in the year you know after there was a huge lockout which did a PR number on Major League Baseball and the handful of owners around the league I think that opinions are certainly shifting and if you're a nuanced fan at this point like the only way to not drive yourself insane is to approach sports as primarily a tool to prop up the world's greatest athletes and you have to understand that the entertainment of the sport primarily comes from watching that on the field and so simply you know saying i'm from so and so state so i'm going to root for this team is a recipe to lead yourself to a lifetime of pure misery if that team is being run by a predatory businessman who only sees it as a tool to enhance his own wealth. So I, I'm a fan of the locals here because I grew up around the city. And also most of my fandoms come from my dad, though. So like it's, you know, and his came from, you know, family as well. And also, I mean, he grew up in the Bronx, so. Yeah, but my grandfather was a Yankee fan, all that. You know, my mom is a giant Bills fan because my grandfather is from Buffalo, and you know that's that's how it works. A lot of it is familial, so it makes sense that like, I mean, look, all of these, like every advertisement tries to prey on something if it's you know like uh, making an appeal to you know like some kind of nostalgia or you know just uh, like an emotional appeal with like the sad like commercials that make you want to cry or whatever. Like it's it's the same idea they know you're not going anywhere so like it's you know if you're running a team in boston where you're the only show in town and you're as historic as the red sox are and the league has an antitrust law that too but like you can realize if you're uh, a very savvy businessman that even though it's extremely gross 
you don't have to put a winning product on the field to make a ton of money. So it's that's extremely disappointing that that's even a place where we're you know at with any kind of sport. Um, but it's uh, it's the reality that like look the Knicks have coasted for so long just because they were in New York and it was a destination and the building was full of tourists and not fans and like you know all fans will complain about it but James Dolan won't so, yeah, yeah it's so expensive it doesn't money. matter how bad the Knicks or the Rangers yeah. are you know they've been better recently but yeah that's right. like a new thing like the Knicks have been a, a laughing stock for decades just because they can get by just by being the only stadium in Manhattan. People are going to go see him. You know, it's like it's. It doesn't matter if the building is full or whatnot. For sure, and and I I do want to say, having said what I've said about the Red Sox and the current state of things, right? I do still like John Henry as an owner. I'm not at the sell the team yet, which sure. a lot of people and yeah. uh, uh, Boston are saying, and Red Sox Nation are saying, and I don't think that's the correct uh, assessment of the situation. Right. I'm still holding out hope that we're going to kind of like change trajectories a little bit um, because we could have James Dolan. We could have John Fisher. Right. Uh, we could have Jeremy Jacobs of the Bruins as our own, uh, as the Red Sox There's owner. There's always so, an example of a shittier owner yeah, where you have so, to say, you know, it could be worse. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Cohen isn't walking through every single door right. uh, to then, save your team. I'm so. sure Steve Cohen. We're, <laughs> we're still not sure because owners are owners, but you know, exactly. um, yeah. So that that's kind of where I'm at. The big thing over the past couple weeks in baseball. What is it, Nolan? Shohei Otani has a new team. He has signed. Not with, a new city, though. No, that's true. He's staying right at home, as are all of the uh, Japanese baseball reporters who moved to the states to cover him. They don't have to move to Toronto, thankfully. Huge W that's for that. That's a really funny thought. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's Japan like... <laughs> contingent that moved in to follow Shohei had to move to Canada. Yeah, that would be a little bit ridiculous. Shohei Otani, he signed. It happened. A 10-year deal for $700 million with oh, the Los yeah. Angeles Dodgers. Uh, and I would like to talk about the saga that unfolded and became ultimately the story of his free agency, which I think we all knew was going to be insane, but we didn't really know specifically how. And boy, were the specifics of this <laughs> hilarious. I, I was expecting a big public spectacle um, just because he's Shohei Otani. And Morgan and I have talked about this a little bit, but like the whole thing with the plane was ridiculous like it was just so stupid and weird and the fact that he was trying to keep things private just made things so much crazier like if he had just outright been like you know on a free agency tour i think he would have gotten a lot more um regular and grounded discourse than what we got which was absolutely like pie in the sky nuts but yeah that that 700 figure was uh quite something to see come down on the old uh the old banner notification <laughs> absolutely and even to go back a, a few days before the actual signing when you know all of like baseball twitter especially the reporters on there like Olney, morosi the the usual gang Passin. came in or on, well no passens the respectable one i'm saying oh these, you're saying the crazier ones well the the ones who were out there scrape who, who were out there scraping the bottom of the barrel for right. and like any piece of information about otani and like buster only literally going so far as to say it's bad for baseball to have a like secret 
lucrative free agency for a, a player like this. At the this. same time, he's a, that's coming from his media side, like which I understand. Like The media needs to have substantial stuff to be able to report on it to get it into the front pages. Like You can't just post crap and then like feel good about it. If but, we yeah. want to expand on that, like I'm not even sure that like free agency scoops even do all that much for the game unless it's like the actual signing because if he's saying like it's bad for the game that he isn't telling reporters like what who he's considering signing with and like who he's talking to i'm really unconvinced that that would have like any impact like on the fandom of the game in any sense other than the like short-term immediate waves of like reception of oh are we gonna get him he's gonna go somewhere else it's so that keeps baseball alive in those cities where otherwise it's dead like if he keeps it private that he's meeting with the blue jays now toronto doesn't have anything to talk about that that doesn't keep baseball alive though that keeps buster Olney's salary on the rise yeah but it also gets the the city talking of baseball does it it gets to the local news when it's people who don't usually care about baseball all of a sudden they're getting a story where they wouldn't usually get one if there's smoke there's usually fire and if there's fire people are going to talk about it so what's the sense in creating false smoke in a place like toronto you can say like all press is good press whatever we're getting a little bit off topic there but basically what i'm trying to say was this was just the start of a very crazy week of free agency was when that whole saga happened where only said that and then a bunch of people were like you just want scoops you're mad that you're not getting your your nut or whatever um (laughs) you know buzzer only always chasing his nuts always chasing i think the shohei saga was great for baseball because we needed a crazy story in totally. free agency. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, one of the stories that always goes comes to my mind is in the NBA, which I don't follow, but I love their offseason. It's crazy. Because it's full of yeah. drama, and I don't care if the story is real or not. Right. And one of the famous re-signings was i think it was andre drummond with the la clippers deandre jordan deandre jordan yeah. that's it okay sorry i get them confused that's, i don't watch a lot of ba- basketball i missed that one Wait, but, what was so the, uh, so what was the yeah the DeAndre mavericks Jordan's were story. trying to sign him um deandre jordan was in his mansion being held hostage by clippers players and like the clippers gm and owner making him <laughs> sign their contract and the rumor was that mark cuban was driving the streets of la trying oh to find deandre jordan to like raise like raise give him a raise and like outbid the clippers um Jesus and Christ. so like it was so ridiculous and so this That's idea really that there's a guy who's on shark tank on a private jet <laughs> with his kids flying from LA back to Toronto and then federal agents board his plane when he gets on the runway and they're like where's Shohei Otani and he's like what like this is what we need like we need the speculation we need the party of 50 for sushi you know that Um, was amazing oh my god wait who was the Kikuchi it was yeah Kikuchi Kikuchi. yeah Kikuchi having his private party reserved for 50 people and everyone was like now people think this is what it's all about yeah but what I'm wondering is like why do these free agency controversies always involve Shark Tank billionaires (laughs) it's a great point (laughs) we mentioned uh, Cuban with the whole DeAndre Jordan thing back in late 2015 and I remember what you were talking about Tony because that was so much fun to be on Twitter to watch that all unfold that was really like the first time I think 
that you had something like that with social media watching it play out in real time on that scale that I think was very um, influential to what the NBA has sort of become in recent years like where you have like so many dramatic like instances being being stirred up like just the past week with the Pacers and Bucks and the game, the game ball, ball like, that was crazy basically just the love the, it it's also yeah, it's Twitter's so finest moments like whenever of there's course. stuff for everyone to follow like that like I mean like anytime sports gets a story like that where everyone has to pay attention and update by the moment like you know with Arson Judge last year, like that was a huge thing where everybody then got locked in and was like, what's happening? Like, you know, and that that was fun because like Yankee fans got to feel what it would be like (laughs) if Judge left and got to appreciate him more when he decided to come back. Um, So that was kind of fun. It got me for sure. It really got me. (laughs) Boris tactic. I fell for that hook line and sinker yep but uh, the other shark tank connection for anybody who didn't hear was that the plane that they were tracking shohei otani on to toronto did not actually have him on it and was instead carrying one one of the billionaires who are on that show so he's he's a canadian like rob herjakovic or whatever the fuck his name is he's a canadian shark tank guy which do you guys know anything about the canadian version of shark tank I didn't know it existed. So right now. he started on the Canadian version of Shark Tank. Morgan and I were talking about this on on SBNY. So first of all, thanks for outing yourself as not being a fan. Real, real, real love there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but that show is incredible. Um, now I've never watched it. I should point out, but just by concept, it's called Dragons Den. Uh, the sharks are called dragons, and the people don't show up with products. They show up with ideas instead. So instead of being like, I've made this thing, we've sold this much, I want you to get in on the ground floor of my business, it's like a guy who shows up and says, I want to make a puzzle. What, okay, well, talk us through it, and then they eventually like fund the idea or something. So See, that's a sounds- lot better infinitely more interesting that's what i said like way better show (laughs) look at my shitty prototype (laughs) exactly so we had a false plane gate all started because john morosi falsely confirmed that shohei was on his way to toronto and then redemption arc for bob nightingale who ended up being the one saying Shohei is not on his way to Toronto. He is relaxing comfortably at his home in Southern California, (laughs) which was one of the funnier tweets I've seen in a very long time. Good for Bob Nightingale. I Um, also feel bad for Morosi, and Nightingale kind of like kicks him to the curb afterwards, like a day or two later. It's like, Jesus, Bob, like (laughs) the man is dead, you know? Like, no, Bob needed that. (laughs) He's already dead. Stop, stop. He's already dead. But I do feel bad for Morosi, and I'm really glad that he did apologize. Apologize, and we can kind of move on because sometimes when you're in the scoop business, you do get used, Definitely. and that do- oh, yeah. that doesn't necessarily like oh, completely yeah. affect your credibility. But usually, Morosi's pretty good, and so I feel bad for the guy. But it's great. I thought his apology was great, and I'm I'm totally like it's I've the moved same on. thing with Heyman. I trust like, him. I'm sure that the reason that that all happened is because Boris told Heyman like, and he probably picked Heyman specifically, and he was like, it looks like this is gonna happen happen so he tweeted it out and he just made a typo but like you know that's the kind of thing that these reporters have to deal with you know like that as you said like that's that's the the double-edged sword of being like 
so desperate to be first or something where like agents all know that. So all they have to do is uh, if they want to turn up the heat, just get a story out there. (laughs) Yeah. That's like kind of what I mean about all this sensationalism and why I didn't really think Shohei's free agency being uh, a secret was all that like bad for the game or anything. Like I think that's pretty absurd. Wait, did you guys hear what uh, Mad Dog Russo said? No. Oh, my God. He was on first take. Yeah, it was amazing. This is what he said. He said, I don't understand why Otani has to be so secretive. What is this? The atomic bomb? (laughs) 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 Like, right across the street, like, the seat from Stephen A. And I was like, no way, This is why, like, I understand why people don't like Chris Russo, but I love Chris Russo. Like, I hate him, so I'm glad we have that full spectrum on the podcast. sports would be so boring if you didn't have people like Chris Russo. This is why you need him. It keeps things crazy and fun. Yeah, just inject that insane comment right into my veins. I need that. Like, that's so funny. It's why Skip Bayless still has a job. Like, it's, I mean, and now you can argue whether or not that's good, but, like, then you have a villain. Like, that's fun. Like, you want idiots who just say things. Like, Morgan and I constantly lambast, or lambaste, Salicata for being, quote, the wrongest man on <laughs> earth, which you need people like that to be able to say that about because that's fun and funny and interesting. That's absolutely <laughs> true, and it made me remember what I was just going to say, which is I think that there are certainly tears in baseball reporting where you have people like John Heyman and John Morosi, maybe like Joel Sherman to an extent, right. but some of these like lower level beat writers who might be a bit Bob more Nightingale. Yeah, Bob <laughs> Bob Nightingale, absolutely. These like lower level beat writers They're who characters. might be a little bit more uh, susceptible to agent lies. You know, people on Twitter will say, and it's the very responsible point of view, which is that you have to wait for Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal to Always. tweet anything. And I understand Or Jack Curry if it's the Yankees. Yeah, or if it's the Yankees. And I, I understand why people don't do that because it's the off season and it's like a lot of fun to to think about what if yeah, my you team buy will, in. will will get this player but it's absolutely the 100% truth that you have to wait for like one of those two guys to tweet anything like if Jeff Passan hasn't said it if Rosenthal right. hasn't said it like it it hasn't been been confirmed because like those are the guys who aren't wrong like but it's not that they aren't wrong they just wait to get like confirmation probably from exactly a, and, like because that's they're a the choice. official sources like yeah. but that's a choice like they could also like you know this is like ninety percent of the way there it's like all right but then if you look through Passon's you know Twitter feed it's like the official moves mm-hmm. which you know that's like. He becomes like an actual like news source, not just a reporter. You know, it's like it's like his feed is like a collection of things that have happened, not right. like you know rumors or hearsay. But it's also good to have the rumors because that's like again, it's fun. And there's also ways to be like a detective with those rumors because they're hearing it from somewhere. So like it's important if you're a fan and you want to be like up to date, like you can kind of play like okay, well Heyman has this. Now, whether or not that means that Boris has told him that and he's trying to get the price up or like with Yamamoto, like all this news about him going and meeting with people in L.A. or, you know, or the Yankees holding out 18, which is ridiculous. But, you know, they could just say that it means like, oh, hey, they are really trying to like go all in. Not that they actually held 18 out for him, but like they're trying to use that and say like, hey, 
this is an angle we can take because we didn't get Andrew Benintendi last year. So, like, you know, no one had 18. Hey, look at that, Yoshi. We have it for you. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, well, that's it's just a, uh, it's a stepping stone to what they're trying to do. That's exactly what I mean by tiers. Like, I think, you know, passing Ken Rosenthal, that is like the S tier or the, the A tier, whatever you want to call it. And then some of those, like, yeah. Lower level guys are just a bit more about like drumming up controversy or just discussion and like right. hype for the league at a time when the sport is not being played. And I do think that that's pretty valuable. But also, you have to understand that like there's levels to that, and you can't see John Heyman as the same as Jeff Passan just because right. they don't play the same role in the sport. It's true. But when you look back and you think to like big moves like that, like you remember the fun stuff. You don't remember the Passan tweets. You remember Peyton Manning has a house in Miami. Like, you know, you remember the things that make you think like, oh, is this going to happen? Not the ones that like, For sure. this is ha- like, we're going to remember the plane. We're not going to remember Passan's tweet saying 700. Like we will because of the number, but you're going to remember the plane saga. Like, <laughs> but you're also not going to remember that because Otani announced it himself on his Instagram. Like, I think you're point. going to that's a good point. Remember that like low res Dodger logo he right. posted <laughs> right. more than you're going to remember when he screenshotted and then edited yeah. and cropped down <laughs> like, because yeah. because Passan posted like Shohei posted on Instagram that's right. he's that's signing right. with the Dodgers. So it's like right. even that he's like. He's well, like alluding did you see to that the from action. Shohei's Instagram, or did you see? It I saw it from from Jeff. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I didn't final follow Shohei on Instagram. No, I, I'm a fraud, but um, not really. Why would you follow him? I mean, like, but yeah, hey, we're we're gonna get through the saga of what actually happened here any second. Uh, so then we found out the actual number. Like we said, the next day he announced it on his Instagram. He's joining the Dodgers with a low res Dodger logo and <laughs> an apology for taking so long to right. sign which I thought was very funny because he so did not need to do that. Um, yeah, and then we, we found out the number, which was completely insane. Uh, speculation for, for so long. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, there had been talk that maybe Juan Soto would be the first player to sign a $500 million contract. And then, of course, he didn't. He has not signed that extension yet with whichever team he's going to play for, so that has not happened. But then any like speculation about Shohei as he has gone on the greatest three-year stretch in MLB history was that you know he would certainly be getting at, at least $500 million and perhaps even six. I hadn't heard seven really on the table yep. at all until he actually signed. So when I saw that number, that definitely had a big impact on me. And I definitely, my, my jaw dropped a little when I saw that. But uh, what about you guys? What did you think just that first initial impact of $700 million? So, yeah, again, like Morgan and I talked about this because I said 600 was on the table, but 700 was crazy if that, like, you know, not, not even 700 was crazy. 600 was crazy. Like, that would be nuts. And then, yeah, that that was jaw-dropping when it came out. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Just instant reaction to 700 mil before we saw the... Yeah, the so the instant reaction was incredible. I mean, worth every penny, and it might be a bargain. It's same same uh, reaction I had to the Trout argument. Uh, trout contract. Trout contract. Um, what was that, 425? Yeah, right? and everyone's yeah. like, years, yeah. this might have been a steal, you know? I mean, because Shohei is just a unicorn. He pitches. He mashes. Yep. Um, he's an absolute icon. 
and that's the biggest part of it by the way it's not the performance <laughs> like yeah it's the, it's the brand it's the uh international appeal too because yeah. like there's there are definitely legitimate questions to be asked about you know otani's not going to pitch at all in 2024 and so there are if he gets hurt yeah there are, are certainly questions about will he be the same starting pitcher that, he, that he was before you yeah. know what will his uh innings limit be going forward will he possibly have to move it into the pen how could that how would affect that work his, his, so. Yeah, how would that work? Yeah. Like, how could new how would, rules that are going to have to be put in place well, about taking out a reliever and then having him go back in the lineup or something? Like, they already know. changed that that rule for him once. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess they suppose they could do that again. But yep. it's like there are certainly so many ways that they wouldn't get that dollar amount and in, in value back out of that contract on the field. But what I think people aren't quite taking into account is that the amount of international appeal and the amount of new fans that they're going to make in japan and in the east are going to immediately more than make up for that he could bring in 300 million dollars this year alone just himself like i mean that's like the kind of thing that he can do maybe i'm exaggerating a little bit i don't know the exact number figure but like i mean only the angels know like you know like what he can actually do for a team i'm sure it's an astronomical number and the fact that he then gets brought in, and this is what I was going to say. You said steal. We didn't even get into the structure of it yet. When I first saw the tweet, like, saying the structure of the contract, I thought it was a joke. Um, I saw somebody tweeted out, like, the structure is going to be as follows. Two million, two million, two million, two million. Uh, two, it's like toy boat. Two million, two million, two million, two million, and then 680 million. I was like, oh, man. That's funny. I wonder what it actually is going to be, though. Um, because, like, when I first saw the contract, the, your first thought is $70 million a year. Holy shit. Um, and, and then, then uh, the next, like, yeah. stage of that was when we found out, like, the actual true. <laughs> AAV on the contract, which, like you said, he's, like, $2 million, yeah. two million for the next few years. And then it's on the books heavily backloaded to give him, like, $680 million in yeah. 2023 and 20, 2033 and 2034 or yeah. whatever, which is, of course completely insane and also i think a contract that only he can sign oh yeah uh oh yeah (laughs) but it's also something that is entirely unprecedented and i mean the fact that like mlbpa isn't freaking out about it i feel pretty good about like i've seen some negative reactions from the executive side of things that i certainly have some thoughts about but Tony, I, I think you also had some uh, pretty interesting things to say about the deferral of that contract money and like how you see how you could see that uh, impacting the future of the league. So, how do you feel about all that? For sure. I mean, my main concern is uh, unions, and the MLB Players Union is one of the strongest unions in the country, and certainly the strongest in the four major American sports. Um, so, you know, my initial reaction was. Uh, is this legal? Um, and Jeff Passan uh, tweeted out moments later that indeed it was <laughs> yes, legal it uh, in the CBA. Yep. And uh, but you know, I was thinking about what precedent does this set, if any, to future free agencies? Um, does did Shohei? Um, is this something that owners can hang over the players, like getting them to defer more yeah. money to win championships under this illusion that they will provide for a team? Right. Which, uh, as I saw with Tom Brady, that necess- wasn't always necessarily the case, and as Patrick Mahomes is seeing right now. Yep. Um, so, 
you know, that's a huge thing. And there's also the opt outs, which then would clear money off of the back end of the contract. And like he would get the years, I think is what it was, like the years that he plays if he opts out. I was curious about that because he he tied it in. Like this is the the last like stage of trickle of uh, information about this contract. The the last thing after the deferral was that he tied the contract to the uh, tenure of GM Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers owner. And if either of them lose their jobs at any point, Shohei is eligible to opt out of his contract, which first of all, I think is just very, very funny because he essentially owns the Dodgers now by himself. He does. But also I was curious of how would that actually work? Like where they were to hypothetically fire Andrew Freeman and he opt out out. Like how would he get the money that he's owed? Like that, uh, that is something I'm not sure about. It's Morgan said it was like each year now kind of corresponds to one of the, um, the deferred years or something. So like if he plays for three years and then he opts out, he gets the three, like the, the three tenths of the six eighty or something essentially like, or something along those lines. Again, Go listen to what Morgan said. He explained it better than I did. But yeah. That makes sense. I, th- I think I get what, what yes. you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, the amount of the contract he plays before opting out is the amount of the, the deferred money he exactly. will Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Now, I think that was also conjecture for the most part, but that seems to be, like, the common idea. Because that's... I, that's what I said. I was like, if he plays for four years and then Friedman goes, does he only get $8 million to be a Dodger? Like, right. that doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. like, no, he would get like 240 or something like after the, the opt-outs or whatever it is. It's, it's you know, or I don't want to do that math right now, whatever 6.8 times four is. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's... 27.2 It's maybe? like 27 something, yeah, 26, somewhere around there. So 260, 270, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's... It's confusing, man. <laughs> this is a whole a whole aspect of this that I don't think anyone was expecting to have to figure out with him. Like, again, this is a new thing for baseball. Morgan brought up Bobby Bonilla, too, and he was like, deferred money isn't new. I was like, yeah, but having a whole contract be based on deferment is completely new. It's yeah. completely new. Yeah, yeah, the Red Sox may or may not still be paying Manny Ramirez, which, oh, like, <laughs> of course, give him a- every bit of extra money because it was all worth it you right, know right right but as i as i said you know my concern is uh, who does this deal right. give an advantage to the right. player or the owner and that's something that i always worry about i can't definitively state at the moment i do have a friend who i would credit on the pod uh, who i was talking to about this but he does work for mlb so i'm not going to credit him Secret but you him. know he said put it this way uh, the owners have been trying to break the MLBPA for decades, right. and every time they try to do it, the players make out like bandits in That's a good way. a very good point. So it kind of, you know, um, toned down my skepticism and uh, gave me a little bit of optimism in the, in, in the whole scenario. Right. You know, and, and just to break things down to people, uh, for the four major sports, you know, the... Uh, baseball, basketball, and hockey have guaranteed contracts. Uh, baseball uh, is the most powerful union. Uh, unlimited money. There's a luxury tax, which we can call a soft 
cap, if you will, mm-hmm. or the, the softest of caps. <laughs> uh, the NFL has a soft cap, but also not guaranteed contracts. Also, so, or partial guaranteed. Partial guaranteed. Yeah, yes, so yeah. their union is certainly not as strong uh, as MLB baseball because and if they any don't have sport guaranteed. Can have a strong union. It's football. It's football. Yeah, <laughs> I know God, it's crazy. Yeah, and then uh, you know the NHL has guaranteed contracts, but their cap is extremely hard. Uh, it's also and very so low. the owners, it's very low and it hardly raises. So right. again, right. they're kind of uh, a weak union as well, where the owners have kind of won over the union in right. that sense in terms of players getting paid. That also um, goes to the TV deals, though, which is why baseball has as much money. It's also games like there's a lot more yeah, games in baseball. Like you have 81 sure. home games. That's a ton compared to hockey where you have 40 or yeah. something. Um, so the gates aren't as big and their TV deals are really small. So like baseball yeah. has all this money. So then it ties into the local sports networks kind of going away, or the regional sports networks, excuse right. me, um, which some of those deals are going away, and it's like this looming thing in baseball that that's going to screw over all the owners um, right. and going to make a lot of problems in the near future, which is also partially why people think the Padres are shedding all this money um, because their uh, their Bally connection is going to go away or something. Right. It's like it's all like tied in with all these other things that go into the economics of the sports, and it's like... I don't know. It gets interesting if you're into it, but it's also very convoluted. (laughs) So it's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basketball, obviously, is like guaranteed contracts, like tiered salary caps that are soft with taxes. And then the contracts are guaranteed. Yeah, but the four to five years, which is what the players want. So it seems like the money's flowing in the NBA. Yeah. But the MLBPA is the strongest union, and I hope it stays that way. Oh, yeah. In perpetuity. Baseball needs to be able to uh, to pay their star, and they're never ever like they're never going to get a salary cap because the union would never agree to it. Um, and luckily, they're the only sport that doesn't have one, as you're saying. So like, it's it's just always going to keep happening where it's like every free agency, there's going to be a new biggest contract ever. So it's it's kind of fun. That honestly leads me into one of the main things that I wanted to like really rant about today. I yeah. think let's Which do it. Sort of in response i think to not only a couple of reports that that have come out about the executive response to the otani contract but just towards on a much larger scale like this idea that small market teams have to to operate the way that they currently are i really want to push back on that because like let's get real conceptual here okay like what are we doing right what what is baseball and specifically what is it's a sport yeah <laughs> hell yeah and specifically what is major league baseball it's like, a governing body of a sport it's a business that is driven <laughs> by entertainment and 30 privately owned organizations are responsible for putting a product on the field that is competitive enough that people show up to the games watch them on tv the people can get excited about their team and cities can take pride in it and converge around the team and celebrate with them and lament with them when things go wrong and good word what what i think a lot of the owners don't want to accept about that is that they have an inherent responsibility to manage the push and pull of creating a winning team alongside what so many of their main goal is which is to create a profitable business and cash out as much money as they can like they want to construct a team that they can pay as little as possible 
retain as few veteran contracts as they can and try to line up as many young guys years of arbitration as they can to try to construct a window of competition like clearly the astros have shown if you're able to manage that balance successfully and create an environment in which the players feel like the fans and the organization and the city has their backs, they're probably going to want to stay. And if you draft as well as the Astros did, and like I think the the Orioles have a bit more recently, you might not be able to retain everybody. Like the Astros lost Springer, for example. but And Correa. Yeah, and Correa. But, they might not have wanted him, though. But <laughs> Yeah, because they were going to replace him with Pena. Yeah. But... As long as you're willing to invest the amount of money it takes to keep a few of your stud players around long term, more than likely you're going to be able to do that. But if you have a team like the Orioles. Pirates never wants to spend money on anybody and also drafted poorly and made really shitty trades for like a decade, you end up with one of the most miserable franchises in all of sports. So my concern with like some of these complaints from the executives and the owners about the Otani deal, we're calling it a joke, but really just in general about large market teams spending on big contracts is like, you are the ones who created the framework for what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, I would love to get private ownership out of baseball entirely and force every billionaire to sell to a city municipality or whatever but like that's never going to fucking happen (laughs) because major league baseball is run by those billionaires and they are rob manfred's bosses like that's like he doesn't have any power over them so if a small market team says we don't have the influence or the draw of big city life let alone the payroll to afford a a contract like otani's which is in a tier of its own now and always will be so i guess i'm talking more about like trout or judge or turner or harper guys who aren't fucking unicorns like that's true but also that's the nature of professional sports is that teams in those big cities will always have that pull to draw the best players towards them and in a privately owned league that's going to draw the richest owners and the best scouts and executives to those franchises all of those hands wash one another all the time like that's just how it works and if you own a team in a smaller market you obviously know that and i would assume you took that into account when you bought that franchise well this is why the rays and steve cohen both are good for baseball because because it proves that you can do both ends of the spectrum. Like the Rays being able to be competitive with next to no payroll and just being smart is really good for baseball. I would say that the Rays are bad for baseball. Re- I would I would Very disagree bad with for you. Baseball. I, I understand I would say why. That, I would say that their success could act as a blueprint for other teams who maybe run their franchises a bit less pessimistically. Sure. Uh, but... Well, what I'm really trying to say is like, you know, if if a team like the Rays, I think that's a great example. Like if you're not prepared to invest significant money into the product on the field, which should be the core of everything you do as a baseball team. Like, I don't know why you own that franchise in the first place. Well, let me let me explain why I say the Rays are good for baseball, because if you have um, a group of players who I mean, again, this goes back to um, to Billy Bean, where like you have players who the league either overlooks you have undervalued assets like that just kind of makes sense that there's a team who figures out how to exploit that um but having a team that proves that it is possible for those teams who let's say they are not 
exaggerating as much as you know you'd think and now every team i want to preface this by saying every team can afford to pay stars that's right. like that's yep. obvious but there are definitely some bigger markets than others like you have uh like pittsburgh detroit where there just isn't the same amount of money for like you know these like the padres literally did have to take out a loan like we understand that they didn't have the money to pay everybody that they gave contracts to we but, also explained last week why the padres are a very singular situation so but, yeah, yes but on. so what i was going to say is let's say that there are teams like that which there are then it proves that you should just shut the fuck up anyway and stop crying poor because you can still do it right. like it doesn't you don't need to be able to go out and pay the stars. There are other ways. You don't need big market names to win. The Diamondbacks just made the World Series with their biggest star being Zach Gallen, which we were talking about before we well, started recording. Well, star being non-rookie. Non non-rookie. <laughs> non-rookie. Non that's rookie, right. Yeah. Um, so it is possible. That's what I'm saying. That's why the Rays are good for baseball. Um, now, Tony, you're probably pissed because the Red Sox should be operating like a big market team, but they want to operate like the Rays. That's where it gets tricky and bad because there are teams that should be operating like big market teams, but they refuse to because it makes them more money not to, which is where things get bad for baseball, um, specifically looking at you, Sam Kennedy. <laughs> like, well, I'll say that I don't like the Rays either. I think they're bad for the sport. And, um, you know, again, to sort of draw comparisons with, with other sports, I've, I've become a big European soccer fan. Sure. And um, in the four major sports, including baseball, especially baseball, you get rewarded for losing and not spending money. Right. You get rewarded. And that angers Fenway Sports Group. That angers Hal Steinbrenner. It angers Todd Bowley and the L.A. Dodgers. Um it probably they also have angers a revenue Steve. sharing part, which is part of why they get yeah. Sad, but go on, exactly, and and plus the revenue sharing. So you're revenue sharing, and you get rewarded with extra draft picks, amongst other rewards too. And so that pisses off a lot of the big market teams who are in the minority and are probably outvoted in the owners' meetings. So. Um, you know, you, you get rewarded for not investing in your product. You get rewarded for losing. In European soccer, that doesn't happen. You lose. You drop down a league. The less money to be made. You know. Less eyes on you. But that's also – so European sports models in general are designed for thousands of teams. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's why, like, there's only – there's 30 teams in baseball. Like, that's that's it. That's your competition. Now, I think it would be really fun – if let's say the Panthers were going to get relegated at the end of this season to like go have to play like, but that, that's the thing. Baseball has a minor league system. Now you're not going to see like the the Rumble Ponies or something are not going to get bumped up to the majors. Like that's not a thing that's possible. But it would be really fun if there was a possibility for like you know a way to have uh, a punishment for losing like that because it is it's very odd that the same country that like you know is pissed off about participation trophies is all like you know we're all good with the worst team gets the first pick right exactly like, all know, all funny. four major sports yeah. you get rewarded for losing right for a country that quote-unquote hates participation oh, trophies. Yeah. You're like all pull yourself up by your bootstraps if that was the case then fuck it give the patriots in like the mid-2000s and the 2010s the first pick every year like you know make somebody else go beat them like that's that would be an interesting way to do it 
Um, and that's but it's, like, uh, it's that's that also doesn't breed better competition. So like at the same time, the league's interest is having parity and having every team be in it because it's good for the fans. I think it ultimately stems from like Americans not being able to conceive of a, of professional sports being anything other than thirty something a handful of like yeah. corporations right. competing with each other and like doing the same thing, you know? For sure. And like it's that's, also, that's exactly what what we're doing. And like I love the sport, of course. Like I love the I love MLB and I love the NFL and the NBA. Like despite all of like there's no there's no ethical consumption under capitalism or whatever. <laughs> but like it just is what it is. And like but I completely know what what you mean and I think that that's a very eye opening um way to to look at the sport is to compare it to other sports and other other countries where like yeah if if you suck you're gone and like as a jets fan they would they would have gotten rid of the jets decades ago i wouldn't have had to deal with that like my god <laughs> would have been fun get rid of the jets well my, morgan and i were also talking about having uh when when you say the term clean house if you actually had to knock down your stadium and build a new one, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, if you, like it's just like this is not working. Let's reset. <laughs> like you know, um, like just anything that's uh, outside of the norm of the way that we do things would be at least more interesting. But um, with European soccer, another thing I want to get into too is the local aspects because you like as you were saying earlier, all fandom pretty much derives from where you grew up, and in in England. Like, if you're from a tiny-ass little town in the middle of, like, I don't know, Sheffield, like halfway up the country or something, your tiny little town has a soccer team that's in the same league technically or the same organizational system right. you will that die the Premier League or kill is. others for that like, team. It's, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it also, like, there is, like, it is technically possible for that team to make it to the Premier League. Like, there was a team, um, what, like five years ago? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like some tiny, if like it's about United soccer, team. I'm completely um, gone. No, do you know who I'm talking about? Like the Leicester City yes, winning the Leicester league. Leicester City, like yeah. a tiny, tiny, tiny team um, that made it to the Premier League and won. Like that's possible. Like it's why. Like if you ever watched um, like Ted Lasso or uh, the other uh, the Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds vehicle Wrexham, um, Wrexham. Yeah, yeah that's why that show so interesting. Up. They're trying to get from like championship level three up to the Premier League or something. Um, so it's, uh, it's, and I don't, I'm not a huge soccer guy, but I, I like the way that their system works. Um, that is pretty cool. But at the same, like if, if like Saratoga had a professional baseball team that was in like the lowest level, they eventually did. they could go up and play the Yankees. Like, you know, <laughs> if they win enough, uh, they, like that's a cool idea. They actually used to have one. They were like a low level affiliate for something. Like it wasn't like a minor league baseball team, but was it an independent league. Maybe or? JD Martinez played for them. I think at one point. Yeah, yeah. I'm go. pro expansion and like a tiered system. Oh, it'd be I'm sick. sorry. This is like there people probably going to be listening to this and be like, <laughs> there goes Tony again, but, like <laughs> talking about promotion and relegation and just like <laughs> but copying the, the English idea. Football Association. I system. think you're onto something. Yeah, now. I mean, yeah, because I would love a baseball team in Saratoga. I, I want a third baseball team in in New York City. Like we need to bring back. <laughs> there a used third. to be that's so uh, not to maybe hint at something I'm working on. Um, but back when there was like subscribe the, to the Patreon. That's yeah, subscribe to the Patreon. Um, back when there was like the the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Yankees. Like New York was known as the. Uh, I'm not going to say what Cashman said, but it was like the center of the baseball universe. Like the best teams were in New York and all that and. Uh, like then you go further back and you have the bridegrooms and the knickerbockers and like you know right. the superbas and like and, you know, and to kind of homies. like draw yeah. it back to baseball too you know 
the height of baseball's popularity yeah. was actually when the American League and National League were separate teams. Yeah, the 50s. And you competed to win the league. Right. The Giants won the pennant. The Giants won the pennant. I right. can't believe it. The right. shot heard around the world. Right. Bobby Thompson. That's one of the most famous calls in sports history yeah. and baseball history. The and the Giants won the much. National League pennant. And guess yeah. what? They lost to the Yankees four games <laughs> to one in the World Series. But you know what? They won the <laughs> yeah. pennant too. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it's, exactly. it's like, it's like, two different it's two different like trophies that you win right you know right, it's right. almost like the like, national league and american league hey guys nolan here we had about half an hour left of that episode but unfortunately our recording device cut out and we lost it it's very disappointing because i think we had a very nice end to the conversation and we wrapped up a lot of our points pretty well and i was very excited to share it with you all but much like the magnificent Ambersons, my rant about John Fisher and the Oakland Athletics has sadly been lost to time. Thankfully, we did get most of the episode, so I'm deciding to put out what we did have in full, because I think we got most of our points across, and we had to push back this recording by a couple days, uh, so we certainly wanted to give you guys something, because you've been super patient with us lately. Tony and I are going to try to get our first episode out of whatever this new series is going to be called. We're very thankful to everybody. I'm very sorry that we have to cut this conversation short, but you live and you learn. Next time, we'll make sure to delete the files on our memory card so that it does not run out of storage space. Very sad that we lost this conversation with Tony, but we're very happy to say that we have many more coming. I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. I hope you all stay warm. Surround yourself with good people, good cats, and good food. Thanks for listening. Thank you.